Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast continues to enjoy inclusion on lists of the best podcasts to listen to, and continues to gain recognition as a wonderful resource for small business owners, sales professionals, and entrepreneurs. Uh, This is because of wonderful people who join me. Uh, They bring along their expertise and they give of their time and talent so that you, the listener, can uh, get the information that you need and you want to make improvements, do better things in your business, be more successful, happier, whatever it is you're looking for, these folks have got the answers for you. Today, I have such a guest. Uh, Today, joining me is Jessica Fiakovich. Jessica is an M&A expert, keynote speaker, small business advocate, award-winning business owner, and Springsteen fan, whose mission is to help business owners leave their legacy and exit successfully. Over the past five years, Jessica oversaw $55 million in transactions, was involved in 150 deals, and mentored over 1,900 business owners on buying and selling a business. Currently, she's the president and co-founder of Transworld Business Advisors, Rocky Mountain, Colorado's top business brokerage firm. Thanks so much for joining me today, Jessica. Thank you, Diane. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, I I don't think we talk enough about um, acquisitions and and mergers. And I'm so I I guess one of the things I'm curious about is um, the pros and cons of acquisition over just organic natural growth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great topic and I, I speak on it a lot, but you know, how I think of it is if you're a business owner, you, you really have two ways to pursue growth. One is you can grow organically. So that could increase, be like increasing your marketing spend or hiring a sales team or maybe launching a new product or service. And some of the pros there is, you know, you have full control. Um, and oftentimes, um, I find that entrepreneurs are kind of a little control freaks and I am myself. <laughs> so, Wait, what? Yeah. Wait a I, minute. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. I'm working on a new project right now and I'm, I'm doing it organic growth because I want full control over it. So, yeah. you know, that, that's the pro of organic growth. 
um, it's going to be exactly how you design it, you know, better or not. Right. Um, the con is that it can be pretty costly, um, because sometimes things don't work out and you're starting something brand new. It's almost like launching a new business. Um, so it can be costly and it can take a lot of time too. You know, I know we all had that project that on our list. We're like, Oh, we're going to launch this service line or this, you know, like right now I'm working on some content and it's taking me like a year because it just gets pushed <laughs> to the bottom of the list. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, I think organic is organic growth is great in the, in the right aspects. You just have to really, um, want to have that control, but be okay with that time and cost. Um, on the flip side acquisitions, I mean, your growth happens overnight. Um, and it's not always as simple as that. There's things leading up to the acquisition, but one day you only own one company. The next day you own two or three companies, depending on the acquisition. Um, so your, your growth, your size of your business can double or triple literally overnight. Um, so that's a pro and it's also a pro because you're buying something that's proven. So you, you're buying a company to um, kind of uh, acquire into your own operation that you know already makes money, it already has customers, already has a team. Um, but then there is, can be a big con and that's if, it, what if that transition and that acquisition doesn't go correctly? You know, what if your two teams don't um, assimilate very well or what if something changes in the business? So there's a lot of risk in that too. Yeah, right. So it's so, I mean, as you were talking about the pros, I kept thinking of that as, as the con that, like, I always say that, that mergers and acquisitions are earthquakes because mm-hmm. I'm not sure the people who do them really appreciate fully the impact that it has on all of the people. And, you know, so yeah. like they're the people who they've had forever are suddenly wondering, okay, wait a second, why are we doing this? And the new people have no idea what to expect. They know what they're being told. They don't know whether it's the truth. It, it's this complete unknown. And so there's like a, an assimilation that is, I would think, critical, or it, it could be the best company in the world that you're buying, and you could be the, the first best company, they could be the second best company, and it could not work. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely. And I think that people thing, that's the scariest part, right? And I, I think that's probably the biggest risk in any small business in general. But sometimes, you know, the owners get overexcited about the acquisition. And like you said, they forget that you know, your employees, your customers, your vendors, they handle an acquisition much differently than you do at the ownership or executive level. Um, so that's, that's something that really needs to be handled very, very strategically. And one thing I always say is when we're doing a deal, if the owners don't get along, so say the seller and buyer either don't get along or they have two totally different cultures in their company and the companies are run, run drastically different, it's probably not a good acquisition because one of those teams is going to have to change everything about what they've been doing in the past and change it to assimilate to the new company in the future. And that's a huge challenge and sometimes one that not a lot of entrepreneurs can overcome. That takes a lot yeah. of skill, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Okay. So, so that leads me to, to a question about how does someone know if acquisition is right for them? I think it, it depends on, on two things. One, the circumstance. So, right. Why are you doing this 
uh, period of growth. If it's because you really need to increase your footprint pretty quickly, or you need to acquire a new service line or a new location to stay competitive in the marketplace, and it needs to happen fast, right? So you've got a strong reason why you're doing it, and you've got a timeline that you've got to do it within, then an acquisition makes sense, right? Um, because it's, it's something that can happen over overnight, or if you feel like you don't have the expertise in a certain industry. So I, I think the circumstances really, really paramount in that, but also like risk tolerance and who you are as a business owner. So there's going to be some risk. Like the risk with organic growth is, is yeah, it doesn't work out and you spend some money, you know, and, and that could be bad. But the risk, if an acquisition doesn't work, you could be on the hook for an acquisition loan with the bank or the SBA. So there's some, a greater financial risk if it doesn't work out. So I, I think that risk tolerance for the owner that's going to back the acquisition and, and personally guarantee that loan, they really have to think through that and if that's something they're willing to take on at that period in their business and personal life, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what you said a, a moment ago that if they, if they have a short timeline, you know, they need it to happen fast and, and, um, they need to have that growth or maybe there's a skill set that they don't have or a product line that they don't have. How does that actually happen? Uh, how does an acquisition happen fairly quickly? Because, you know, I hear about like due diligence and you have to do all of these things. I mean, maybe the question is, if, if someone's thinking about doing an acquisition, what do they need to be looking for and, and in what way? Right. Yeah. So it's, it, you're totally right. It can take a, a large amount of time. So acquisitions can take anywhere from three months to three years. It really just depends on how quickly you're able to identify the target you're acquiring and then due diligence, lawyers, all that stuff, you know, the more over detail the deal gets, the longer the period of acquisition is going to be. So uh, typically what we'll see is, you know, once somebody finds the deal that they're acquiring, it's a, it's about a three, maybe six months on the long end um, period of closing. And that includes negotiation, due diligence, and all the legal pre-closing documents. So when I say it could be faster, even if you're looking at like, say a year to 18 months, you know, sometimes to prove out a new business or a new service or a new product might take multiple years. So that's kind of what I mean by I still faster. It's not, it's definitely not an overnight process, right? <laughs> but um, it is it's slightly faster. And, and that acquiring part is really um, or I'm sorry, the search part is really the big unknown because sometimes you know exactly who you're going to acquire. You have a competitor or a vendor and you know, you've kind of been watching them for a few years and, and you know, that's who you want to acquire. Other times you might not know. And that search process can take the longest amount of time. So that's, that's really where these deals can bleed into a year, two years, three years sometimes. Okay. Thanks for that. Yeah, that, that's, Thank you for that. That's really helpful because um, if I if I'm understanding it right, it, it's that it can happen faster many times than launching a new product and really getting it to take hold because of all of the things that are involved, not, not just with the sales and marketing aspect of it, but the actual prototyping, creation, 
all of that. So this, and this feels like it's, it can be more, um, I want to say deliberate, but I think what I really mean is uh, deliberate and moving forward. Like sometimes mm-hmm. a new product launch can just get stuck. And, right. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like it can consist, consistently move. Yeah. It's like kind of once you sign those papers, there's not really a whole lot of going back. Right. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're kind of committed. I, I like that. I hadn't thought of it in that way, but yeah, I mean, the other thing I hear too all the time is, you know, any small business really takes from startup to what, what you would call like sustainability it takes about seven years to get to that point. So if you think of, if you're launching a whole new location or a whole new product or service line and you equate that to basically launching a new business, sometimes then you're like, well, I don't know if I need to wait and maybe it won't take seven years cause it's your, you know, it's not your first rodeo, but maybe it takes five and maybe you just don't want to wait till that sustainability period and, would rather buy yeah. an established company. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the curve can be just so much shorter. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You don't have to worry about you know runway because the the company's profitable. It's making money. So those, I mean, those are all back to the pros. Right, right, right. So how does someone finance an acquisition? You mentioned something about uh, an acquisition loan, but what are the options that a company has? Yeah. So right now there's a lot of great options. And I think in any positive economic cycle, you're going to have more options for financing. Um, but so there's a few, um, there's a few major ones I'll talk about. So the first is cash. Um, and like purchasing any large asset, like a home, um, the buyer is going to have to inject some cash into the transaction. Um, and that can come in the form of savings. Um, you can do things with your retirement funds. Um, your cash can come from partners or equity investors if you want to do something like that. Um, so that's the first major bucket. And you're typically going to see at least, um, I'd say, 20% down. There are some banks that will take 10% down, um, but they're very hard deals to get done when you look at the debt carry and the interest rates and all that kind of stuff. Um, so the next major one is SBA 7A acquisition loans. So the Small Business Administration is a government program that provides a guarantee to commercial bankers and lenders that if someone borrows through the 7A process, which is an acquisition loan, and defaults on that loan, that the government will guarantee a large portion of that loan back to the bank. So it's a very low risk investment for the bank. Um, So if you think about it, if the SBA is guaranteeing 75% and then the buyer is putting in 20%, you know, they're only, the bank's only exposure is about 5% there, which is a pretty good deal for the bank. Yeah. Um, but it's a great deal for people that are looking to acquire businesses right now too, because the interest rates are low. They're typically like 10-year terms. Um, so, so they're really, they're really good loans right now. Um, and obviously that fluctuates with the economy, with interest and how much the bank's requiring you to put down. So that's the second major portion. Um, and then the third that people don't often think about, but is a big, big component in almost every business acquisition deal is seller financing. So a seller will be willing to finance a portion of the sales price of the business. And as a buyer, there's a couple reasons that you want that. And immediately everybody thinks of, oh, well, it's because the cash, then so I don't have to spend so much cash and the seller's going to carry some, which is a good point. But the bigger reason that you want the seller to finance a portion of the price is you want them picking up the phone. 
right? So you buy a business and usually there's a training period for a few months afterwards, but then you part ways with the old owner. And if you have a question a year from now, a year and a half from now, you want them to have a reason to pick up your phone call and help you through that process. And sometimes a seller note will do that because they know that they kind of still need to be kosher with you and, you know, have a good relationship at least until the end of that note. So they get all their money out of the transaction. That's fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody's like, oh, well, that's how I'll get more money. I'm like, yeah, but the real reason you want to use a seller note and, and that's oftentimes too, like when you see seller notes structured, um, you know, you know, there's longer terms and, you know, higher interest. And you're like, well, as a buyer, why would I want to pay a higher interest? You're like, well, I, you want to keep the seller happy. Right. And this is a team yeah. kind of approach through this whole transition. Um, so oftentimes we see a combination of all three of those components used. And, you know, most banks, even at this point will request a, a seller note in part of their deal. So they might say, Hey, we want the seller to stay on the hook for five to 10% for the same reason. They want the seller to pick up the phone if the buyer has a question. So. Oh, that's so interesting. So they even get it that it's more likely to be a successful transition if everyone has a stake in it. Exactly, exactly. Wow. And I mean, we're not like talking long-term for these. I mean, it, it ultimately depends on the size of the transaction, but you're looking at anywhere between one and five years on that seller note. So it's not like they're expecting the old owner to stay around for 10, 20 years, like the SBA yeah. loan, you know, but it, yeah. it just helps with that transition. So, you know, when you look at all three of those components and there's a lot of other financing options too, but I mean, those three components will cover 90% of the transactions that get done, at least in the small business world. Um, there's really a lot of good financing options right now. And there's a lot of ability to structure a deal that works for you. That is so interesting because it seems like it's something that um, it is, is, I mean, I just wonder, you know, what people think about it. I know there's plenty of companies that this is exactly how they think about growth and they, there's a local company here who that was their absolute growth plan. They just kept buying up smaller firms like all over the country. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, place where they sort of settled out. Um, so, but, so uh, you've been doing this for a long time. So mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering if you've got like any anecdotes of growth through acquisition that you would want to share with the listeners. Yeah. So the one I was thinking about this and the one that I think worked the best was um, an acquisition that was, we um, helped through the process. It was a direct mail company. So they designed and mailed postcards and things like that. And they were located were out in Denver. So they were located by us. Um, and they had two problems. One, um, direct mail is an industry that's, you know, had its challenges in the past. So they were looking for some new services they could provide to their existing clients. Um, and then two, they'd never had a sales team before. And they were starting to come up of, you know, we really needed a sales team to move this business forward. They had relied on word of mouth and referrals, but they kind of reached the max capacity of that. Um, So they had a very targeted search. So when we went to help them, we had a really good idea. We knew if the company needed to be in the marketing space, a local company, Um, they wanted one that was about the same size as theirs because they didn't want to take on an acquisition that was larger than them. So we ended up finding a company that did 
marketing services, meaning they would help people um, do their strategic marketing plans. They would help with social media management. Um, and they even helped in a little bit of like graphic design. So pretty, you know, pretty similar offerings between direct mail and this marketing services company. Um, and then the kicker on it was that they also had a six person sales team. So they had the sales team already built out. They had a sales manager in place, but it wasn't a giant sales team. So it wasn't going from like not having a sales organization at all to managing 20 or 50 people. Um, so we were able to get that deal done. And that was a combination of, like I just said, cash, seller financing, and SBA. It had a little bit of each in that. Um, and the transition took place over a few months, but it worked out really well. Um, our client, the direct mail company, was able to double their revenue overnight. Um, they had access to a new group of customers that they could cross sale the direct mail services to. And then they could also use their existing group of customers to cross sell the marketing services to. So that happened just over a year ago and the transitions worked really well. And like I said, they doubled their revenue overnight, but they've even increased since then because of those cross sell opportunities. Um, and, and both, both teams have been pretty happy with the transition, but I think it goes back to, there's a lot of similarities between how the companies were run. They were smaller local companies with a similar culture. So that transition period or that assimilation period was much easier for those two teams. Yeah, I, I just think that is so key to making sure, because everything can look good on paper and and can seem like it fits and the two owners can be of like mind and, and get along and all that can be great. And then it's those darn people who just can, can make it a little crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, you know, the open and honest communication, like this, this owner was very open with, especially their executive team and their managers of, you know, this is why we're pursuing an acquisition. This is what we see going on in the industry. We can make the company more stable this way. So really sharing like that, that reason why, um, with your team really helps too. Um, yeah. you know, and, and I think too, on the, the, you know, the seller side, he, the seller was older and, you know, I, I always say that your teams aren't dumb, right? They know what's going on. Yeah. If, if, if you're at, you know, if you're at the older um, end of your lifespan or you've been in your career for 20, 30 years, your team knows you're thinking about a sale and, and they don't blame you for it, right? At some point, everybody needs or should be able to retire. So right. I, I think that team too knew it was coming and they were just very pleased with the acquire and that the culture wasn't going to change that much. And, and especially for the sales team that they had even more stuff to sell with the, like the direct yeah. mail services now. So. Yeah. And, and I so agree with you. I mean, it's that being upfront, giving the why communicating consistently and, and cause you're right, they're not dumb. They totally, they see what's going on. And as long as you tell them, the reasons why and what you're doing, then you, they're more likely to be on board with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny. We have, sometimes we tell our clients, you know, that if we're in the office, say like it's the insurance guy or your attorneys or something like that, because we try and keep the transactions confidential. And I still give everybody that advice, but after a deal's done, the team's always like, Oh, we knew what you were doing. Like, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nice try. Yeah, exactly. 
Of course. Yeah. They're totally on it. That's so funny. Yeah. I'm going to take a quick sponsor break and okay. then, um, continue the conversation. Sure. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is the leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. And if you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are Transform Your Company by Alex Vorobiev and The Irresistible Consultant's Guide to Winning Clients by David A. Field. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today we're speaking with Jessica Fiakovich about growing through acquisition. So, um, are there any industries that are really hot right now for acquisition? Yeah, um, there's a couple. And actually, those are the industries that, you know, uh, if you're considering doing an acquisition in the industry, I'd wait till it cools off a little bit because typically you'll pay a higher multiple. Um, but insurance companies, especially commercial insurance companies, um, are trading for very high multiple right now and super fast. It's very hard to get an acquisition in that space right now. Um, another one is uh, financial services or wealth management companies. Um, there's, there's a lot of companies pursuing acquisitions in that space right now. And same thing, very hard to find a, uh, companies to acquire. Um, and also you're paying a premium because there's so many people out there looking to acquire. Those would be the two biggest and hottest that I'd say right now. Um, okay. and, and that's, and that's a national trend. There's, there could be some trends that are more regional or local. Um, but those are the two biggest ones that we've seen in the last, I'd say two years. Okay, so how does someone, so that sounds to me like, like the housing market when it gets really hot and then it's a bidding war and the, and the sellers in the catbird seat and so people pay more than they probably should or could have for the house if they had purchased it you know, when the market was down. Right. Is, it, is it the same sort of you could end up paying more for an acquisition than because of timing? You could. I mean, you definitely could because of timing. Um, you know, I'd say in most industries with most companies, it's not nearly as competitive as a housing market or any other asset because there's so few buyers for every company. So like, like we went back to, like we're looking for buyers and sellers that match together on a business perspective, cultural perspective, personal perspective. And then you got to throw in like the whole time and money and all that. So you're really like kind of looking for a needle in a haystack when you're looking for those relationships. So in general, the market doesn't fluctuate as much as like the housing market would. Um, but like I said, there are some industries and they get hot. You can, you can overpay or pay a higher multiple. And at that point, the owners really just need to think about the opportunity cost of waiting. So does it cost more to wait? And if that's true, then for some of those owners, it might make sense to make, pay more upfront now, or is it something they can wait on a year or two and hope the market, especially in that industry cools off a little bit? I see. Okay. And then, 
Yeah. And then there's always, you know, there's always companies in any industry that we call turnarounds. So they're not performing well, they might not be profitable, um, but you can always get that at a lower valuation, but it's going to take some more time and effort to turn around that company, hence the nickname for them. So what sort of owner would want to buy a turnaround business? The ones we see that do this most often really have a good process and system that they can plug into any business. So it's typically somebody who's bought, built, and sold most multiple companies before, and they've literally built a system for themselves that they can say, hey, my strengths are in marketing and operations, and if I can find an acquisition that that's where they need help or enhancement, I know I can apply my strengths to that buy it for a discounted price, build it up, make it profitable, and then flip it and sell it for a much higher profit. So there is, I mean, there's a group of individuals across the country that do it. It's almost like fix and flip for businesses. Um, You know, and you see, you know, I'd say you see in a software market, you see some private equity firms do something like that. Right now, the market's so good that they're looking for high performing companies. Um, but it, it's people that are experienced in doing that or building multiple businesses in the past that gives them more confidence to do a turnaround project. Okay. <clears throat> and I know we talked about, uh, wanting the original owner to pick up the phone and be available and, and, you know, help when, when help is needed. Are there ever situations where, uh, uh, the buyer would not want that to happen. Oh yeah. I'm sure there are. Right. Um, (laughs) yeah, I'm sure there are. And I think it goes back to, you know, the personal relationship between the buyer and seller. Um, it might be, if you're acquiring a competitor, you might not want them involved in the transition and in case they decide to do something malicious. Um, but that's pretty, that's pretty easy to solve. I mean, there's always some short transition period, even if it's just two weeks to hand over the tactical stuff. Like how do you use your CRM? Who reports to who? Like settle up AR and AP so that there's always that kind of piece to it. And, and like I said, you can literally get it down to two weeks. Um, and then as the buyer, you can ask the seller to leave at any time. Um, and that's the case, even if you signed them to like a one-year consulting agreement um, and it's not working out, typically those one-year consulting agreements have a full out for the buyer. So if the seller's not being helpful, they can say, thank you so much. You can be on your way now. I'm going to run the company on my own. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. And it's, I mean, it's ultimately, I think, the hardest part about this topic and the best is that every deal is so different and every buyer and seller can structure the deal in a way that works for them. So there's no typical deal. There's no typical time length that a seller will stay on and do the transition because every deal is going to be a little bit different. Even for someone who buys multiple businesses, they, yes. they have to know that each one can be. Each one's going to be different because at the end of the day, the other party, the other end of the deal, isn't going to acquiesce to every single deal point, even if you've done multiple deals in the past. Ah, okay. All right. So, so no matter what, it's still somewhat of a, a negotiation. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. And and everything. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk a little bit about that. I mean, so, so what really does go on in, in the conversation around, Hey, I'd like to buy your business. I mean, what does that look like? Yeah, so it it kind of starts pretty um, high level. So it's it starts with the buyer just asking simple questions about the strategic plan and vision for a company, um, you know, and, and the seller will do stuff similar things of you know, well, why do you want to buy a company? Very like high level conversations to see if they're aligned on certain things. Like, are their motivations aligned? You know, do they get along as people? And are again timing and money, right? So it doesn't matter how great somebody gets along if the buyer comes to the table and says, I can only raise $50,000 and the seller's business is worth half a million, that deal will never work. So that, that's typically the first conversation. And then you'll have anywhere between two and four additional conversations and meetings before you get to a letter of intent or terms. And those conversations, you're diving deeper and deeper into the tacticals of the business. You know, so how does business acquire their customers? You know, how do they service their customers? What do their retention rates look like? How do they hire a team? How do they replace the team? How do they train the team? You know, basically trying to get a full understanding of the whole operating procedures of the business. Um, So deeper and deeper you get into those conversations, the more tactical it gets. Um, And then once you submit an offer as a buyer, we call it letter of intent. After that, you go into the due diligence period, which I kind of compare to an inspection period. So that's when you can take all of those seller's claims that you've had in those conversations and verify them through documentation and financial reporting. Okay. Uh, What would you advise a business owner to do if another business owner came to them and said, I want you to buy my business. Hmm. So if you're in that situation, I mean, the first thing I would probably do is get some advisors around you as a buyer. Um, You know, I always say like I'm a business broker and business brokers are very valuable in a transaction like this, but the number one advisor you need on your team is an attorney. Um, so there's a lot of legal stuff that goes into these deals and it's very, very difficult to get a deal done without an attorney. So that would probably be my first phone call. If I was that buyer, the first phone call I'd make is to my attorney and say, Hey, I just got approached by this guy. He wants me to buy his business. I think it's a good deal. What do I need to do from a legal perspective to protect myself, even just in these initial conversations? Um, because especially if it's a competitor, you can get into some, weird non-compete and non-solicitation issues. You just really want to be careful on that end. So that would be my first piece of advice. And, you know, additional advisors could be a business broker, could be an accountant or evaluation expert. Um, When someone's coming to you and their business isn't, you know, on the market or being shopped, there's going to be a lot less information about it. Um, So you're going to need some people on your team to help you learn to ask the kind of questions that you need to ask, right? to make sure that the deal's right and structured in the right way for you. Thank you for that. I mean, I think that is so huge because I would just think that so many questions would pop into my head if someone came to me and wanted me to buy their business. And it could be just that they've watched my business for a while and they like the way I do business and it resonates with them and they're planning on retiring and moving to Boca and right. <laughs> whatever, right? But it could be that, 
there's trouble brewing and they just want to, you know, dodge that train and want someone else to get hit by it. Right. Yeah, it could be both. So you got to know what questions to ask. And then, you know, it goes back to two is, is an acquisition right for you at that time? Because even if you don't go through with a deal, a deal takes a lot of time and a lot of mental energy. So if you're at a point in your business where you're not ready to do an acquisition, you know, just say no, move on and, and don't worry about it. You know, that, you know, we, um, you know, we worked through with one of my um, old companies that my husband and I started and we worked through an acquisition where somebody approached us and, you know, it probably took up a good solid 20 hours a week. And we got to the end of three or four weeks and we're like, we're not ready to acquire a company right now. We're still younger selves. We're still growing. We're still figuring this thing out. Like this is not good timing for us. And we would have saved ourselves a lot of time if we would have just admitted that up front and not just gotten excited about the whole process. Yeah, that is tricky, isn't it? That you get into that whole adrenaline rush of, ooh, I, look at what I could do. And, and that could be, I would think, sort of dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, I think too, it, it comes at that time where you're like, you feel like you're like, you know what, I've really made it. My company's doing well. People are asking me to buy them. Sometimes people are asking to buy your company and it's very flattering, right? So you can get caught up in that whole emotion of it. Yeah. Right. All right. So before I asked you um, to give me a, a success anecdote, I'm going to assume you um, have <laughs> maybe one or two horror stories uh, that really went terribly wrong. And I'm wondering if you would be open to sharing one or two of those. Sure. Yeah, there's, there's definitely ones that, that don't go well. Um, so one of the biggest pieces of advice, if a buyer comes to me and says, what should I do like right after I acquire a business? And my, always my first piece of advice is don't change anything for six months. Like just let the business operate as is, observe as a bystander, no matter how much change you want to implement to this company, just wait. So we had, um, we had a company and they were in the trades. So um, like construction trades, like HVAC and roofing and stuff like that. And we had a buyer come in and acquire the company and it was one of those fix and flippers. So he was looking to acquire a company that maybe, I wouldn't say this one was underperforming, but wasn't doing as well as what was possible. Um, okay. So his, his nature was to fix this company, get it growing and moving and sell it as quickly as possible. So what he did the first month is he came in and he slashed the commission structure for the sales team. Oof. Yeah, which is never... Wow. If, if like, if you ever worked with sales guys, it's never a good thing. (laughs) So, um, so they were, they were on a low base plus a high commission. Um, and he took away the commission and just kept, um, a higher base and lower commission. So their overall lower potential earnings went down significantly. Wow. Um, and that happened within the first couple of weeks, new owner, obviously the sales team left, right. (laughs) And it was, You know, in Colorado, the trades are really hot right now. The job market's really hot. It's very hard to find people to work in those industries. Um, So they just literally all had new jobs within weeks of that announcement. And the sales team was gone. I think there's one person left out of 10 or something like that. So um, fortunately, he was able to recover from that. Um, But it's taken him a few years to build it back up. 
Um, and now, you know, he's looking at finally going back to market, probably I'd say next year or the following. Um, but he's, he's barely going to recoup his investment because the entire time he was digging himself out of that hole that was, you know, caused wow. by the sales team leaving. So, I, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong, but I think that's like the biggest, um, I, I'd say, you know, close to disaster that we've seen. Um, you know, but there's other minor things that can happen with team members leaving and things like that. But that's the only time I've seen, you know, a walkout of a sales staff pretty much. Wow. Yeah. Oh, not a good idea. So I, I, I love this. Don't touch anything or do anything for six months. You got to let the dust settle. Yeah. And you know what? I think, you know, and I, I've done this before too. My sister and I acquired a business two years ago and I want to go in and tinker with things right away. And I did. Sure. And, and I screwed some stuff up because even though I had owned a number of businesses before, I consider myself fairly intelligent. I just don't know everything, right? So yeah. <laughs> it just takes some time to figure out how each individual company operates and the right. little intricacies and stuff. And, and that takes time. I don't think you learn that overnight or in a matter of weeks. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Plus, you can have certain beliefs when you take over a company, but until you're actually working with it, you don't necessarily know if what you're believing is completely the way things are. So it's not that you wouldn't change things. It's that maybe you would change them differently after you had been experiencing them for a while. Right, right. It's like yeah. the going back to the housing metaphor. It's, it's like everyone tells you, live in your house for a year before you start remodeling, right? Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, 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 I get it. Wow, this is so great. I really appreciate you joining me because this, this I know there are people listening who have thought to themselves, um, yeah, I think I'd like to acquire a business. And this just gives them more, it like takes the mystery away from it and gives them a better grounding into what really is involved in it and what they need to know about themselves and um, keep an eye on. So thanks. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. I love talking about it. And I, I do think it's a great opportunity for not everyone, but a lot of small business owners that they often overlook. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I think they, I think it's because they don't understand it or they think it's going to be really expensive or really hard or some combination of the two. So, um, now, will you tell the, the listeners know, you know, how they can find you, what you've got going on and, you know, with web links and everything? Yeah, sure. So um, you can find me and, and my company at tworlddenver.com. Um, and one thing I tell people, if you're thinking about inquiring a business, just start shopping. Like, and you can totally do that on our website. So inquire for some information about different companies. Um, and then we also actually just launched our own podcast too, and you can find that at tworld.com backslash the deal board. And um, that's all like we talked about the great stories and the horror stories. It's kind of like inside the deal room, what goes on on a day-to-day -day basis with these deals. Oh, that's great. Good for you. Congratulations. Thank you. That is great. Now repeat that, um, that link. Yeah. So it's tworld.com and then it's uh, forward slash the deal board. Okay, cool. That's great. I encourage you folks to, to go. I, I got to imagine it's going to be uh, that it is a fascinating conversation and will give you some real insight into 
uh, what is actually going on out there. So you, yeah. you learn by other people's example. Yeah, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. <laughs> it's all out there. <laughs> that is so great. Well, thank you. And I always like to thank the listeners. You're who we're here for, as well as our sponsor. If you would like to get a free trial of audible.com, as well as a free audiobook for signing up for that trial, just go to audibletrial.com slash business growth. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.